0: As we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us pray for the Spirit's illumination. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds that we might hear your word for us today. And in our hearing, give us courage and strength to faithfully obey. Or we make our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament text from the lectionary this morning is Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. This is the call narrative of the prophet Jeremiah. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. <clears throat> Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations, and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 22 through 30, and builds on Jesus' visit to his hometown of Nazareth, which we began to read last week. Listen once again for the word of the Lord. All spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine in all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except for a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so show of hands, how many of you instantly understood that text that I just read? Made perfect sense, right? All this talk of physicians, doctors, prophets, widows. It's tough to follow Jesus' logic here, isn't it? And it's tough to understand why the people go so quickly from being amazed to being enraged. Let's see what we can unpack here. So today's text follows on the text that Jessica preached last week. Jesus has returned to his hometown of Nazareth. He's in the synagogue And on the Sabbath, he gets up and he reads the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after reading the scripture, Jesus sits down and gives a one-sentence sermon Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then we arrive at today's text. The people take a minute to process what has just happened in their synagogue. And at first, they're pretty impressed, right? It begins, all spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. So far, so good. But as the message sinks in, and people begin to realize that Jesus is making a very lofty claim about himself, then the murmuring begins. Wait a minute here. Say, what, Jesus? Did you just claim to be the one who fulfilled the scroll of the prophet Isaiah? Did you just claim to be the one that God's Spirit has anointed and sent? These are people who know Jesus, after all. He's grown up Among them. And so the question, isn't this Joseph's son, is a little bit uh, pejorative. It betrays their skepticism. After all, they know that Jesus hasn't come from a particularly remarkable family, for Mary and Joseph the carpenter were presumably not well educated or wealthy. We know this guy, the people say. And he's just Joseph's son. In the Gospel of John, the newly minted disciple Philip goes and tells Nathanael excitedly, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets spoke, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And Nathanael replies, can anything good come from Nazareth? In other words, say what, Philip? The messiahs from nazareth i don't know about that if judged by the standards of importance and excellence held by most people nazareth was an unremarkable place and mary and joseph were an unremarkable family those outside nazareth knew that the town was unexceptional and those inside nazareth knew that jesus came from an unexceptional family So they object instinctively to Jesus' claim to be anyone unusual, much less the Messiah of their people, the people of Israel. And you know, as much as we like to laud the ideal of the American dream, the ideal that anyone can climb up the ladder, we sometimes look skeptically upon people who presume to have risen above their circumstances, don't we? It's one thing to watch a feel-good, rags-to-riches movie, but it's quite another to suddenly have to answer to the authority of someone we used to look down upon. Have you ever run into someone you haven't seen in a while or heard about someone you used to know long ago and found yourself surprised at the good things that you are hearing about them? Maybe you never thought of them as someone exceptionally gifted or someone who was going places only to discover that they're in fact leading a meaningful life and doing extraordinary work. Sometimes the people we've written off can surprise us, right? Sometimes we realize that people we presumed to know are in fact totally different than we thought. The Nazarenes presumed to know Jesus, but Jesus certainly knows them And so he anticipates the next questions that they're surely going to ask as the friction of this encounter continues to grow. Jesus says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown Jesus utters two proverbs here doctor cure yourself and no prophet is accepted in his hometown these were common phrases that were used at the time to draw attention to people's tendency to reject prophets who speak truth into society they speak to an important theme of the old testament which is the hardness of hearts that God's people so often uh, experience in their approach to the prophets that God sends their way. In fact, in the book of Exodus, God even complains to Moses that the Israelites are a stubborn and stiff-necked people. Jesus is levying that same complaint against the Nazarenes here. Israel's scriptures are full of accounts of the mistreatment of prophets, In fact, in our Old Testament lesson today, the prophet Jeremiah hesitates to accept the office of prophet to which God is calling him, claiming he's too young and doesn't know how to speak, and God reassures him that God will be with him to deliver him, which I guess is a reassurance, because clearly prophets had reason to fear if they depended on God's deliverance. You know, we sometimes think of prophets as people who just predict the future, but biblical prophets are much more concerned about the present. To be a prophet is simply to speak God's word, to be a truth teller. And that's why prophets are often rejected, right? Because in reality, we don't always want to hear the truth. The truth hurts, and it hurts especially when it hits us close to home, when it comes from those who know us well enough to speak truth with authority. It is hard to get negative feedback, say, at work in an annual review, but there's more to life than work, right? It's much harder to get a negative critique from your spouse or from your children, not only because these are the people that we don't want to let down, but also because they're the people that know us best, whose proximity to us lends credence to whatever hard truth they might need to share. And if we're honest, we often prefer to dismiss claims that we don't want to hear. And we may have a variety of excuses as to why we refuse to hear hard truths. We might say that the source of the claims doesn't really know us, or that we're just misunderstood, taken out of context. Or maybe they have an agenda that they're pushing, or an axe to grind. But when a hard truth comes from within our inner circle, when a claim lacks grounds for easy dismissal, then we may be forced to contend with that truth, give it the time of day, and that can be difficult. For example, it's easy to dismiss a doctor who tells us that we probably shouldn't be driving anymore. Oh, they haven't seen me drive. They don't know my lifestyle, we might say. But when our children tell us that it's time to hand over the keys, well, that's a much more painful truth, a more difficult conversation. It may be easy to dismiss concerns about racial bias and racial injustice in our society, because we don't wanna take a good hard look at ourselves and our culture. I'm not racist, we might say, as though that's all there is to it. But when our own neighbor recounts his experience of being profiled in our very neighborhood, well, the lingering legacy of racism then hits us much closer to home. Indeed, a prophet is not welcome in a prophet's hometown for his stinging critique is often too weighty. Jesus has said as much, but he's not done elaborating. Next, he says, The truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine in all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Okay, here we find ourselves scratching our heads again, so let's look at these two examples one by one. During the tenure of Elijah, there was a severe famine in the land, and a number of people died, which resulted in a number of widows whose husbands had died. The Israelites would have known about God's care for widows, which is articulated throughout the Torah, so they would have expected God to send the prophet to their widows. Instead, Jesus points out that Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. This was a Gentile widow. She lives in Sidon, and Sidon is not Israel. And then Jesus mentions the prophet Elisha, During his tenure as prophet, a number of people suffered from various skin diseases. And the Israelites would have expected God's prophet to go and heal their lepers, right? Instead, Jesus says, none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was also a Gentile. Syria was not in Israel. So in Jesus' comments about Elijah and Elisha, the widow and Naaman are both Gentiles. And what's more, they're both from regions that were hostile to and hated by Israel. In fact, Naaman the Syrian leper was actively besieging Israel at the time that Elijah was sent to him. So, what Jesus is saying is that insofar as the Nazarenes assume favoritism from God by virtue of their ancestry, they're mistaken. In fact, Israel had forfeited its favoritism over the years by its stubborn and stiff-necked resistance to the prophets that God sent. And now, in Christ, they were actively rejecting their God. That's the hard truth that Jesus is prophetically declaring in our text today. And this is a critique, again, that comes from within. Jesus is a Jew himself, not a Gentile. And he's not just an insider within the nation of Israel, he's an insider within the village of Nazareth. In Jesus' day, most people who heard the text from the prophet Isaiah would have assumed that that text was written to apply to them. They were the poor and the blind and the oppressed to whom God shows favor. They were the ones who were to receive vindication on the day of the Lord. But right as Jesus is claiming to be the one who brings this salvation, in the same breath he indicates that God's mercy announced in the prophet Isaiah reaches to Gentiles as well as Jews. And if the Israelites in Nazareth cannot extend the salvation announced in Isaiah to the Gentiles, then they can't claim it for themselves either. The reason that prophets are not usually welcome, especially when they strike close to home, is because prophets are usually calling for an extension of God's grace and mercy beyond the limits that human beings so often want to construct around them. But the kingdom of God that Jesus brings means that the oppressed go free, the poor are fed, the blind can see, the captives are liberated. Which all sounds great in theory, right? Don't we all want that? But if we ourselves are not oppressed, blind, poor, or captive, what good is that for us? Do we really want such things? Because what would that mean for our privilege, for our wealth, for our freedom? And if following Jesus means joining him in this ministry of bringing the kingdom of God, what does that mean for our ease and comfort and lifestyle? If you're like me, and overall you're pretty comfortable in the world as it is, then Jesus' words might feel a little prickly, right? Because Jesus is asking us to extend God's grace and mercy beyond our hometown, beyond our inner circles. He's asking us to extend the kingdom of God and its liberation and its healing to those who are different, to those we view skeptically, to those who are oppressed, even to those we perceive as our enemies. It's not a message we always take well, is it? It's not the sort of truth we really want to hear. I know I don't. We might want to object, we might want to get defensive. Or we might want to do what people often do to prophets and simply reject the message altogether. That's what happened in Nazareth, after all. The text says, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might throw him off the cliff. That's not a great reaction. What is it with these Nazarenes? I mean, they hear something they don't wanna hear and instead of considering it for whatever merits it might contain, they just get mad and react with outrage. There's some serious cancel culture going on in Nazareth, isn't there? But as dramatic as the conclusion of our text today is, aren't we prone to this ourselves? Don't we tend to react with hostility to things that challenge our point of view? Don't we tend to look for any reason we can find to be dismissive of a perspective we don't like? Don't we tend to disregard what we don't want to hear? Well, Jesus is undeterred and carries on. The text ends very matter-of-factly. He passed through the midst of them And went on his way. Though most study Bibles title this section, Jesus is rejected at Nazareth, surely it could also be titled, Jesus rejects Nazareth, right? Because if his own will not listen to him, clearly there are others who will. You know, it wouldn't have been surprising if Jesus had been rejected by strangers or by enemies, But that's really not the story of the Gospels, is it? Jesus is rejected not in uh, not in uh, Sidon or in Syria, but in his hometown of Nazareth. Jesus is betrayed, not by Satan, but by one of his own disciples. Jesus is crucified, not in pagan Rome with its pantheon of gods, but right in the heart of Israel in Jerusalem. The prologue to the Gospel of John laments, He came to what was his own, and his own people didn't recognize him. Friends, may it not be so with us. May it not be so with us. May we open our hearts to the Gospel, even when it challenges us, even when it stretches us, even when it rebukes us. And may we put no limits around the grace and mercy of God, lest Jesus pass through our midst and be on his way. But instead, may we allow Jesus to make his home among us, that we may be the hands and feet of Christ, not just to those in our inner circle, but far, far, far beyond. May it be so. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.